You are listening to the Pro Ecclesia podcast from the Truett Church Network. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome, friends who are tuning in to the Pro Ecclesia podcast hosted by the Truett Church Network. We have a, a special podcast today that will probably be a two part podcast. We're visiting with the teaching team at First Baptist Church of Temple, Texas, and talking about discussing with the team. Uh, their approach, a, a team approach to preaching that I've been able to observe and watch and visit with many of their staff members about, and I, I just find interesting, not typical. Um, and I, I think it, hopefully it will be helpful for those of you preparing to preach, preparing, mentoring younger ministers in your ministries, considering how to effectively proclaim to your particular church and the various ways different churches are doing that. Uh, so I'm going to allow the teaching team to introduce themselves and uh, get the conversation going. So Joe, start us off. Okay. Uh, my name is Joe Lachlan, and I'm the lead pastor here at First Temple. I uh, have been here five years, a little over five years. And I'm David Goddard. I'm the discipleship and family pastor, and I've been here about four years. My name is Anna Brown, and I am the preaching resident here which I'll explain that, I guess, a little bit. It's a fancy way of saying that I am a seminary student at Truett Seminary, um, but I also work here as part of the teaching team, and I've been on the team for a little over a year now. I'm Josh Flores Olvera, um, and I've been here at the church for about three years now. In the missions department. In the missions department, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> do we say department anymore? Jack? I don't know. Is that, a, is that a phrase that went out when we were kids? But I'm not sure official. Not a missions minister. Yeah, I am the, the missions minister, and uh, I oversee all the local, domestic, and international partnerships for the church. Also, a true grad. We'll just put in also a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jack Bodenhammer. I'm the interim teaching pastor. I've been here preaching here for about three months, uh, and also serve at Truett Seminary. And I did not ask them to say this, and you cannot see this, but we have a vi differing generations, differing ages, spanning a few different decades here. I won't make anyone say ages that we're on here, but um, it's an interesting group to uh, have differing perspectives. So, uh, Joe, give us some of the overview. Um, it is not common, I would say, for a senior pastor of a church of some size to give up the pulpit regularly and often. Um, We'll talk more about that, but how did this team teaching approach come to be? How was it born? Yeah, well, when I uh, came five years ago, I had uh, a little bit of an advantage in that I had uh, an established relationship with the church already because 10 years ago, I was its interim pastor, and I'd gotten to know the church well, and so I had a pretty good read on this church, and I wasn't expecting to ever come uh, back to this church. In fact, I had stepped out of the pastorate in 2005 and had been out of the pastorate 12 years, traveling, itinerant. Some of that work was on my own. Uh, some of it was with the Texas Baptist group out of Dallas. Um, but I always had this idea that if God ever did call me off the road back into the pastorate, I would want to do things differently than I had done all those years before. And, you know, I was the guy that preached 50 Sundays out of the year. And often that was two or three times on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, again, a different sermon back in the day when we were doing Sunday evenings <laughs> and then might throw a bone to an associate or something on Wednesday or something yeah. uh, to do but I was that guy that preached and I just didn't want to do it that way so I came with the idea of kind of a shared leadership and shared teaching model in my mind um, 
and I talked with leadership before I ever came on board about that. It seemed to resonate with them. It seemed to kind of resonate with what the church had given the search committee, even in feedback. Yeah. And so I thought it really was a great opportunity to try something different and uh, without really a, a, a model to use because our situation is very unique, very different. So uh, that, that fed into it as well. I wanted to be able to really uh, reach the arriving generation. I came in when I was 57 years of age, which is a little older for a new pastor in a church. And um, I want, that's the average age of a pastor that's current in a church, I think, uh, but not an arriving pastor. And so uh, I really worried about how I could reach the millennials, especially, um, who I find, quite frankly, very intimidating. Uh, in Gen Z, Hannah over here, Gen Z is scary, scary to me. Uh, but anyway, I, I thought, what we really need to do is find someone who's a millennial, probably found one on the team who could share the pulpit with me. Um, and, um, you know, I, I really wanted to be able to to share the idea that we weren't just going to like let that guy preach occasionally, but let it become part of a thing where we were really sharing the platform. And uh, otherwise, to me, it was going to be like it, we weren't going to really be investing in the arriving generation. Yeah. We were going to be kind of sitting them on the front row and you know hand him our bible and say here you know hold my bible watch this you know I, I you know i i didn't want it to be that way so um and then our unique situation also caused us to have to do something very different we have two venues going on sunday morning two different styles of service and of the four services two of those in the middle one in each room are going at the same time and the church was relying upon uh, a live stream across the hall to one of those services. I wanted to change that and ultimately had a commitment to uh, an in-person uh, teaching experience. So if you get up, get dressed, come to church, you get somebody in person on the platform talking to you. Yeah. And so we've kind of got that all rolling and then COVID hit and we were all on screens <laughs> for a while. Uh, but that was the kind of, that's really kind of how it all came to be. Um, and to me, that was just really, really important. I guess bottom line what I wanted to make sure that we didn't do is that we didn't I felt like there was a need in our culture to move away from building a church around a singular personality mm. at the top yeah and I really felt like this was an opportunity to try something that would feed into a different idea and different model yeah and so that shared leadership shared teaching model is what I came in with and it's Man, it's it's morphed, it's changed, it's grown, it's been a blast uh, most days. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's been good, and so anyway, that's kind of what's behind it. So just so I understand, you have two worship venues on each Sunday morning, to, and two services in each of those venues yep. that are kind of differentiated by worship style. Yep. So you got four right. live preachers, or that's right. four sermons at least that's happening right. all the time. Yeah. Okay, man. So it really sounds like a kind of a spirit thing, right? Of, needs of the church heart of the pastor yeah. coming to, and then over some time the personnel yeah um to do some of that i think that's right yeah. you know on a given sunday morning um two of us preach or teach and like this last sunday i was in the classic venue and classic is choir led um pretty pretty traditional and uh, i was in the classic venue and across the hall josh flores overa our missions minister was in the modern venue that's band led yeah. um and so I preached twice in the classic. He preached twice in the okay. modern venue. This week, I'll preach over in the modern venue. 
switch over to that room. And uh, actually, Hannah Brown will be preaching in the classic venue this okay. week, and she'll preach twice. I'll preach twice. And uh, so there's that need for in-person yeah. teaching, having a live person on the platform talking to you rather than half the church every Sunday watching the screen. Yeah. You know, does the congregation know who's going to be in what venue on any given day? Uh, not ahead of time. <laughs> not ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are a few people who looky like, lose looking at yeah, yeah, they, they will hit the info desk and ask who's in what room <laughs> or whatever. We have a few. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have, each have a traveling squad that wherever <laughs> wherever we're preaching, they'll go with us. They'll, you know, they'll do away with their preferred style of worship that day just to hear their preferred preacher, <laughs> teacher. It's really kind of comical. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then it really is something you have to kind of get get your ego off of. Yeah. You know, you really do. And it's just human nature. It's just human nature. But I'm, I'm asked every Sunday uh, by a couple of, of our long-term members are you preaching in my room today and i always think it's funny how they ask my room my room yeah, yeah. that's right and uh, i'll have to tell them no i'm across the hall if you want to come over uh, just come on over whatever you want to do yeah, so, anyway. yeah. the flip yeah. side of that is is positive though i mean to mix up people in differing services if you can get some cross-pollination there can be some good of that yeah. uh, if it's not just cult personality following yeah but, we have found that yeah. really the the age demographic is not true to form necessarily in terms of the style of worship okay it's not we've got people my age i guess they're old rock and rollers like me who like the <laughs> modern venue yeah. and we have some young families that absolutely prefer the classic venue yeah. multi-generational venue and yeah. uh, i think the stereotypes so, of who goes where break down practically really do. in a lot of places they really do. I mean, there's still some overview there um, well we'll come back uh, later in the conversation to how that's shaping the church how it's shaping y'all Okay, let's transition a bit to kind of from the logistics to the, the lessons learned on some of this. So y'all have been through this a few years. Uh, so for Joe, what do you know now about mm -hmm. team preaching that you wish you knew would have known when you started this? And it's worth mentioning that Evan Duncan was a really important part of this. He really was. And took a pastorate in yes. Indiana, Indianapolis. Philadelphia. Yeah. Philadelphia, sorry. That's, that's been right. a part of this from the beginning. Yeah, he was. He was my guy that I identified before I ever came. Uh, to be the one I would originally share this with. So originally it was two of us, and then it's grown into five, um, which has been awesome. But Evan was the guy I entrusted to come alongside me uh, a little over five years ago. We had a great five-year run together. Um, and, you know, he, the teaching pastor and I preach most Sundays. I'm, I'm scheduled to preach 42 Sundays this year. Um, the teaching pastor preaches 36 Sundays a year. Okay. These other guys take turns of the other Sundays. Plus we have, when we do communion, we don't do any preaching that day. It's a full commitment to that as our whole theme for the whole hour. Um, so that's how it works. And Evan was a great dynamic part of this team and um, moved to Philadelphia in at the end of June to lead his own church. And it's, I think is going to try to take the shared model with him there uh, and try it. So anyway. Uh, I could see it spoiling you for any other way to do it. Finding the personnel is a whole other thing or the people to do it. But I could see it once that's in your blood, it'd be hard to go back to another way. I I can't imagine not doing it this way. Well, we joked about this today. Uh, that I'm kind of, you know, in a rough spot now because as my first experience, where do I yeah. go from here? So. Yeah, yeah. 
downhill like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I would say that's a that's a heck of a problem to have, right? Most people have to start in really, you know, small, difficult places and work their way up to a healthier team. And to be able to start on a healthy team at the beginning is is quite a wonderful thing. But yeah, it's not easy to find everywhere. That's why we're doing a podcast on it, right? Because it's not on every corner. Um, so yeah, to the question, what would you, what do you wish you knew? Uh, what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Yeah, well, I would say there's one thing I thought about this a little bit. I, I um, There's one thing I think I got kind of confirmed uh, that I was suspicious of, but I think is, is spot on. Um, I really do think what I hear very often from our young adults, millennials and Gen Z, that one of the key reasons why they decided to come to First Temple after they visited was the fact that we have a shared teaching model. Hmm. So I was suspicious of that, that it would be very valuable to them and that they would have a way to get around the, the kind of singular personality at the top. And I, I think that's a value to them. So they kind of confirmed that. Yeah. But there's something in it that I I, I don't I didn't know. Um, I didn't even have a suspicion of it. Um, I I'll just kind of confess a little bit of uh, experience slash ego here. Hmm. Um, I really did see it kind of as me pouring in to the next generation, the arriving generation, <laughs> and the value of that, and I knew that would happen. And I thought that like Evan would be able to help me communicate better too. Um, uh, the millennials and Gen Z of our church on the Sundays I was speaking to them. I had no idea, though, the level of and value of what it is to sit with uh, people who are younger than your own children, um, who are excited and enthusiastic about ministry, and they start dissecting your sermon and picking it apart. And as we might even call shredding it a little <laughs> bit, um, the, the, I, I started out the process very intimidated with stark terror about being around the arriving generation. I really did. I think a mm. lot of boomers are. Yeah. I have a completely different feeling now. I feel like this is, I mean, it is just gold for me to have the Evans, the Josh's, uh, the Hannah's. Um, no offense to Jack and David, they've got value too, but especially the younger Just less. generation. <laughs> really, to, for them to speak yeah. into, uh, I, I'm growing more right now in my 40th year of ministry than any other season in my ministry before. Mm. And I just am so grateful for that. And so I didn't know to expect that. Yeah, I didn't know. And I will say that I don't think this model would work if Joe had any other attitude than the one that he has because he's so receptive. If we push back, red flag something, it's not like a, man, who are you? I've been in ministry long, you've been alive kind of thing. It's, it's I, I genuinely feel like Joe believes in the giftings that Hannah and I and everyone who was here that, that we have, that we've been given. Um, I genuinely believe that when we say something, it's taken seriously. Uh, it's it's valued in that uh, he trusts us. And if if that dynamic were not on the team, it wouldn't work. Hmm. Because naturally, 
a younger minister would say, well, why even speak up? It's not going to be taken seriously. And uh, for me, I, I feel like this model has taken my giftings personally to a level I never thought. It's changed the way I preach. It's changed the way I approach the text. It's changed um, how I think about preparing the text, not just for each room, but uh, I'm like trying to picture their voices as I put their put the sermon together because to me, like critique makes me better. I want to be the best that I could be. Otherwise it's wasted. Yeah. Um, and so I, I want to almost try to beat them to it, but, <laughs> but for my own betterment, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Cause it's not, not, not in a selfish way, but like, I, no, I want yeah. to be good. That's community, good. right? Yeah, You're considering the other as you prepare. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about others of you on, you know, how this has shaped you as a minister, as a preacher, as a follower of Christ? I think one of the things for me is um, one of the things that we call uh, putting a lid on it. Mm -hmm. And so by Thursday afternoon, uh, well, Thursday at noon, we have sent out our outline, our sermon to everybody else. And then we get some feedback. And then I have for the very first time figured out how to put a lid on it <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, not keep working on it and through Saturday night into Sunday morning and then trying to get after it. And so to me, that has uh, been such a big help. Um, and quite honestly, at the house, it's a big help that I am able to put a lid on it and yeah. then actually be a human being well, with my family on yeah. Friday and Saturday, because before it was just ongoing, I was still working on it yeah. and I wasn't invested in at the house because sermons never get finished right i mean yeah there just comes it's you can work on as much as you want and sometimes that's needed yeah other yeah. times it's just your own anxiety driving that mm -hmm. and put it put a lid on it. i like that that's good you know being new to the team like in coming into this as an interim it has been such uh such a wonderful end for to me to learn and think about preaching for the first time really in a long time differently um, having pastor and all that kind of stuff and being where I am now, this has been a gift and not just thinking about preaching in a new way. Um, we pray for each other. Uh, I genuinely feel cared. And as an interim, you know this, Matt, uh, you don't always get, people love you as interim, like, and that's great, but rarely do you feel the mutual investment. And I think, um, the, the team approach here, um, no, you you don't walk out of room not feeling invested in, and and that's a, that's an important aspect. I don't think every staff can say that, um, and and certainly as a preaching team, I think there is some even deeper relationships that that we enjoy. So spiritually, it is spiritually forming for me um, to engage in scripture together with a group. It's pretty simple right like if we as a group as a community of god look at scripture together we're going to grow um i think it's pretty biblical and pretty easy um and it sounds silly to say it out loud but that's that's that cannot be undervalued i think of god is working on us even as we're yeah. unpacking scripture together and that's incredible it's just a gift ministry i mean logistics aside that's a pretty powerful reason <laughs> to investigate this right to some degree or another um which kind of brings me to my next question uh 
I imagine this has to affect the way you work together on all the other elements of your ministry. I mean, from missions and I mean all the other things that you're doing as a staff, preaching is just one part of your ministry. How do you think this has bled into how you, your staff works together? Perhaps the trust you have, the feelings you have toward one another. I think so, um, because Josh and I work quite a bit together on missions and with me working with the life groups, uh, trying to get our life groups invested in serving our community. And so it just goes hand in hand. So he'll be at my next um, meeting and we're talking about the next event that we have coming up in November to serve and see who's going to step up and help lead out in, in some things. And he's taken me along on some other mission trips with him. And uh, just uh, to me, it makes the collaboration a little bit closer. Uh, work with Hannah, with working with the college students uh, as well. And so I, I think it just um, helps see the benefit of what the other person is doing and how they do it. We may not do it the same way, but yeah. we see and we learn how they do it and we learn from it. Also, I think one of the benefits for me that I think has bled over into all the other aspects of things that I do here at the church is just this model has made me, I think, so much more of a responsible interpreter of the Bible, even <laughs> just responsible with the gift of being here and being in ministry and knowing that when you've got people who are kind of looking over your shoulder um, with the best of intentions, it makes you kind of get your act together about yeah. things. And so I think you know, having that kind of a model, knowing that that's not just happening on Sunday morning, it means that if I'm preaching for college ministry, if I'm, mm. if I'm, you know, leading a life group in the summer, if I'm doing, you know, even just discipleship type things with other people in the church, it's done with a higher level of integrity, I think, because being here in this environment means that, you know, I've got people who are are watching out for me, but it's also, I mean, you can't be lazy when, you know, every single week there's somebody yeah. sitting here saying, hey, did you did you think about this? And so I think that has impacted, you know, pretty much everything, every every way that I approach things in ministry and even in academics, uh, still being a student. So, yeah, there's some built in accountability to the whole process when you've got to hit your marks because other people are depending on you. I know a lot of weeks when I was doing this by myself, you're still writing sermon on Friday and when you're by yourself, you can just push your deadlines. It's an often unhealthy ways. Hmm. It sure seems, again, from the outside looking in, um, what's necessary and rare, Joe and I are pretty good friends. And so um, I'll brag on him, it is the humility of the senior pastor to uh, one or two emails, as Josh mentioned, if you came back too hard <laughs> or shut it down and said, dang it, I'm the senior pastor, you know, this is what we're going to do. I'm sure at times those things have to happen. But could really create a whole different culture of of creativity and sharing. And so um, for all the pastors out there, there seems something of the gospel in this of uh, giving up control to people who are called and good at what they do and trusted can actually make us all better. <laughs> and in community, right, Koinonia, we're better together. Somehow in the collaboration on something, more comes out of it than we could ever give it ourselves, which is... Um, which is, is wonderful. How do you think this has shaped the life of the church a few years in? Um, Joe, you already mentioned this some of people seem to join appreciating it. So it's a, a culture shift where you're not expecting just one person up there. Um, yeah, how's it shaped the life of the church? I think I think it's uh, kind of confusing for <laughs> our 
first-time guests. They, they are that, really yeah. confused. Now, yeah. what has helped, of course, is ever since COVID, our front door has changed. Yeah. Our front door, our front porch used to be the actual in-person service that people come to. Now, uh, almost 100% of our first-time guests tell us they've been watching us online for huh. months, okay. if not up to a year, wow. before they decide to come the first time. So they are somewhat aware yeah. that this is there's a weirdness to the preaching schedule or something. Yeah. Um, but it's still kind of confusing to them at first. But once they latch onto it, it it takes the pressure off um, of of having to explain it. Um, and it I I I don't know. I really want to listen to what these guys have to say about how they think it's affected the church or what kind of impact it's had on the church. I really have looked forward to them answering that question. <laughs> I really want to listen to that here. Uh, I, I would say my observation is uh, the. The temptation that's very easy to fall into is to listen to sermons or the, the preached word in an echo chamber mm. where uh, it's the language you are comfortable hearing. It's the ideas you're comfortable hearing. Uh, and I'm not even talking about like outside of orthodoxy or anything. Yeah. Just off, you know, like lens, I think would yeah. be the right word. Um, well, you don't, you don't get that. So I think there's a level of uncomfortableness that's healthy. Because like, I think all five of us preach very differently. Uh, and even like, if you look at my manuscript, it looks like I took crayons to it because <laughs> everything's color coded yeah. and it's confusing to them, but that's the only thing that works for me. And um, the, there are some people that when they want the echo chamber, we're not going to be an entire mm -hmm. place. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with that. It's just, it's not what, what, what we do here. And um but I think I think Joe, Joe's the one that came up with this phrase. He's like, nobody needs a steady diet of Joe or nobody <laughs> needs a steady diet of Dave Goddard, Hannah, and Josh, Jack. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's a, I don't know that I would describe it as a kaleidoscope, but I think I would definitely say it's, it's a much healthier like, food pyramid yeah. of understanding scripture. Um, and I've actually had somebody tell me, like I'm, I'm first generation Mexican, uh, one time I, I used an illustration that was about me learning English and a mistake I made in learning mm -hmm. English. And I had a Hispanic come up to me before and say, I've never heard anybody talk about what it's like being Mexican mm -hmm. in, in a church like this. Yeah. Um, and that I think that, that has twofold effect, right? It it helps that person feel a part of this church, yeah. but also it exposes another demographic of the church to a different experience. Yeah. Um, so overall, I think it's good. I think it'd be easier for Joe to have the main pulpit and build up the numbers. And um, I think there's an element of discipleship too, though. Or not build up the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it would build up. But, it, you know, and, but, but kudos to Joe for, for laying that down for the sake of investing. Yeah. I think I could answer, because I was a church member before I was yeah. interim staff. And I would say how it shaped the church is... It's, I think it lends itself to being better listeners of the gospel mm. um, because we all have kind of a, a countenance and, a, and a, a way we preach. You can learn and you can tune in and out. Um, and if we're being honest, if we're reading faces of our own sermons. Um, <laughs> but what happens is when you're walking into a room and, and you're listening, you know, this week it's Joe or next week was Josh, and then 
you might catch Joe again, and then it's Hannah, then it might be David or, or Jack or whatever it may be, is you're learning to hear people different. Mm. And I think that's a skill that extrapolates to the to life. Like, teach me to listen. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think that's really valuable. I think as a, as a pew sitter, as a chair sitter first, was listening to Josh preach for the first time was just a, a, a great, I'd never heard Josh preach. I'd heard Evan. I, I knew Joe and I'd heard Joe. And, and then Josh, and then Hannah comes and preaches and, and knocks it just so far out of the park. I, I felt amazed. Um, and, and David too. And so all of these voices are contributing to how, how we're leaning into discipleship and growing. And I think that's just so valuable to teach me to listen um, yeah. and not just sit in here. Hmm. it's a good word yeah so i also was part of the church before i was part of the team um i got involved here in college and one of the things that you know as a college student as a young person looking for a church that's a big question and a lot of friends and a lot of young people that i know there's a lot of baggage with church um whether that's personal experience, whether that's, you know, portrayed by the media or whatever it is, there's a lot of church hurt and there's a lot of baggage and, and sometimes that can be just a headache and honestly more than, than what it's worth. And I think one of the things that, um, for me, one of the reasons why I continued to be a part of the church and why I chose ultimately to stay is because the identity of the church was not wrapped up in one person. Mm. And I think that is largely in part of this shared model that we don't all look the same. And so it was really valuable to walk in and to know that, you know, we've got something like 15 babies in our nursery right now. Yeah. And we also have, you know, really thriving older folks and everyone yeah. in between and to know that we don't all look the same and yet we can all worship together. And also to know that whoever is getting up on a Sunday morning is, is not alone in yeah. that. Their interpretation has been done in community and their, you know, what, what they're saying, other voices have spoken into, I think was really valuable for me and it alleviated, I think, some of the fear and now that I've gotten involved working with college students now in our college ministry, that's definitely still something that I know that they're looking for is hmm. it, it there's a there's less fear to commit to a church if you know that you're not you're not committing to Joe, you're not committing yeah. to Jack, you're committing to we're here in community, we're doing this together. And I think that's something a lot of young people are really looking for. And that's a good word. I think that's a a good word to end on. That's uh, thank y'all for your witness to us. Thank you for uh, your in a busy week, um, your willingness to come uh, share with us about this. Friends, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining wherever you're listening from, whenever you're listening. Uh, we appreciate you. Hope you've been encouraged by this conversation. Have a great evening.